I'm Shannon. And I'm Rami, and this is Workplace Hugs. This is our podcast where we talk about the interesting things we've read or heard and how it relates to the workplace experience. Um, Our goal here is simple. It's how do we expand our toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy without a whole new degree? And we'll purposefully talk about the learnings in three different scenarios. We're going to hit it on the high level, which is 30,000 feet. We're going to talk about uh, the concept and kind of where it came from and, and really try to unpack it. Then we're going to go down to the lowest level and talk about how we've experienced it in that dirt level um, and give real life examples that have either happened to us, our coworkers, our peers, our friends. Uh, and then we'll talk about bringing it back to eye level and how can you take some of those learnings and um, bring them into your own life. And so we'll explore the takeaways from all of these things. Shannon, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I am Shannon Schottler, an executive coach based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I spent the first 10 years of my career working for four different Fortune 300s in manufacturing, retail, and consumer packaged goods in a lot of different roles. Sales, inventory, supply chain, you name it, I probably did it. A few years ago, though, I set that corporate lifestyle aside, favoring the flexibility found in entrepreneurship. And I am happily coaching, consulting, and podcasting yes. all the live long day. I love it. I'm Rami Gibran. I'm in Los Angeles, California. I've worked in all sizes of companies from large to small, usually in newly developed roles. The way I'm described and love being described is that I'm the person at the office who you know does a bunch of different things, but you're not really sure what they do or department they're in. I think it's kind of like that Chandler Bing where they have no idea what he does. Transponding transponster. <laughs> I got my MBA a few years ago, and since then I've been working in smaller startups, trying to get in roles where I can be perpetually curious and build things out. And I'm also podcasting with Shannon, which is fun. Yes, you are. Rami, what are we going to talk about today? Yes. Okay, so I read this book about Leonardo da Vinci, and I am so happy that I read it. It's a very long book. It's by Walter Isaacson. He tends to write very long books. He's the one that wrote the Steve Jobs book that everybody read 10 years ago. And it just kind of walks through every aspect of Da Vinci's life and kind of breaks it all down. But the parts that I want to focus on are how to be perpetually curious in a digitally connected world. And then also, how do you infuse your interests in everything that you do? Oh, I love this already. Tell me more. So Shannon, how much do you know about Da Vinci outside of his art? Okay, Rami, here's the extent of my Da Vinci knowledge. I watched the movie Ever After. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that movie with Drew Barrymore? That's the extent to which I know about Da Vinci. (laughs) So you know that he's like an inventor. (laughs) Yes, yes. He's an inventor. He was making those shoes where you walk on water or whatnot. Mm -hmm. He made her wings for that scene. Yep. It was, it was a great movie. I watched it all the time. Yeah, they said he would have been an expert in any of the categories that he dug into, but he refused to publish anything. There was some work that he had done on teeth that weren't validated until I think the 1940s or 60s. Like once technology got to the point, they could say, oh, yeah, that thing that Da Vinci said is actually we can prove that that's true. Wow. wow. But he never published anything. Like Why? anything. I think he was just too busy not publishing. Like, he was too busy finding things out. He just wanted to keep, like, doing and inventing Mm -hmm. and exploring and not actually telling people about it. Yeah, he had this habit of, like, starting to do things, to write things down, and then he would just get too interested by the next thing and then go right off onto it. 
Mm. Okay, so let's talk about the first speech, which is being perpetually curious. It's the to-do list building and researching. Yeah. So the way that Da Vinci would make his to-do list is by imbibing it with all the questions that he also wanted to get answers to. So a lot of it, and we have one that we'll kind of post that I've been looking at, and this is the one they kind of go through in the book, is all of these things that he wants the answers to, which are calculate the measurement of Milan and suburbs, and then find a book that treats of Milan's and its churches, and then find the measurement of this, and then the measurement of this, and then get a master in arithmetic to explain to you how to square a triangle and then get this guy to show you how to do this and then get this guy to show you how to do this. And then as you get further down the list, it says, draw Milan. And you're like, okay, that makes sense. Like he was trying to find all these things out so that he could then draw Milan. But it was like a bunch of finding out how to do things. And I think somewhere on this list, it's like, how many times does a hummingbird flap its wings? And it's like, oh. ah, that, that I don't think has anything to do with what he was trying to accomplish. Yeah. But his way of doing it was, these are my to-do list. What I'm going to do is find an expert in all of those things and ask them the question. And they're going to show me exactly how they do it. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't as easy for him to research back then. Like there weren't a bunch of books or Google or whatever it was for him to go, all right, YouTube, explain to me how this like bridge is built. And then he can see a two minute video that just breaks it down and, and then he's good. So he would actually find the experts and then he would know that what they're telling him is the most deep knowledge that he could find on that subject, which I mm-hmm. think is just fascinating. I just think this is so inspiring. This concept of infusing questions or curiosities into your boring everyday to-do list is, it was just like a breath of fresh air for me. And Mm -hmm. I'm looking at this list, this example. And the other thing that I love about it, I don't, is this actually like, this isn't actually an expert, an excerpt from like his writing, is it? They flourished it. Okay, okay. But I can imagine just from the limited knowledge that I have of Da Vinci that he would have added in these drawings. So they put in like drawings off to the side, which just makes it all the more inspiring to me or more of just like a inspiring and creative feel to it. So I am completely sold on this idea. I could not love it more. Okay, so let's hold on that. We'll talk about that once we get into the dirt level of list building. But then the other piece is how do you infuse your interests in everything that you do? Da Vinci did this by he was just an amazing artist right we know da vinci probably as an artist first yeah but he didn't let that stop him from digging into science and and math and all these other things and so he would imbue imbibe all of his art into everything else so he would build wax models of how bodies worked he spent years and years and years trying to make a sculpture of a horse that was like perfectly accurate and the funding kept falling through but The models that we have of it are exactly accurate. Wow. He would draw math problems. He would draw the pieces of the eye and how it worked. And so he always found a way to to stick art into things. And so I want to talk a little bit about that once we get into the dirt level. Mm-hmm. So two things, the being perpetually curious, yep. to do list building and researching, and then infusing your interest into everything we do. Exactly. All right. Got so it. let's get right into the dirt level. So Shannon, here's my question for you. Yeah. How do you make to-do lists and how much of them are tactical versus like inquisitive slash strategic? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to look at my to-do list right now. So how I make to-do lists, I keep virtual post-it notes on... I have a personal laptop and a work laptop. And as I'm looking at my list here, it's all pretty tactical, things that I need to do. I do keep a section, 
I kind of like break it off of like things I need to do today versus like later and then like a long time later and then like more ideas at the bottom. So yeah, like I'll put ideas, like I had an idea for a blog post the other day. And so I'll put that on the bottom. So it's kind of like a to do, but it's like not baked enough for it to get up the list to be a to do because I need to flesh it out a bit more. Does that make sense? Yes. But they're mostly, mostly tactical. Oh, completely. Pick up my prescription, book my rental car for when I'm in California, read this book, um, things of that nature. Interesting. What about you? So I sent you mine, which is just a bunch of random things. My to-do list ends up being a list of things that I want to understand because I have a question about them and things I need to do. And they get done in a very odd way. Like if you saw the order at which I did these, it was completely like all over the place. So question. Yes. Were Have your to-do lists always looked like this or have they evolved since you read this book? For sure evolved since I read this book book. I think before the way that I used to do it was I would carry around a little moleskin and in the back of it, I used to write down all these things that I was curious about. Mm -hmm. And that's how I kept track of like my intrigues, my curiosities. And then I would have like a very strategic tactical or a very tactical to do list. I think in reading this book, it, it pushed me to say like, why shouldn't those two things be one? Yeah, yeah. I love that. And it's helpful to for you to go through your evolution of your to do list, because that's jogging my memory. Um, when I worked in corporate America, I would encourage my team and I did this myself to keep what I called the back of the notebook list, where I wanted them to just like write down pain points, like what stuff that just pisses you off about your job that you wish was better, different, easier. And that when it came time, at the company where we worked, they had they had to do a, a quote, strategic project. And so when it came time for that, they would have a, a wealth of different ideas that they could potentially execute against. But I'm reflecting now and realizing I've totally gotten out of that habit personally, since becoming an entrepreneur of that back of the notebook list. So I love that. Yeah, bring it back. No, I like it. And I think too, it's like, how do you keep those things somewhere so you don't lose them right for me it was Mm -hmm. I used to keep them separate now I keep them together because I want to prioritize them equally because yeah I found that since reading this like I want to be more curious yes and if I if I say okay well these are my tactical to do's and I don't put my inquisitive curiosities there then I'm saying that there's a difference in them and there shouldn't be yes I and that's I think the game changer is blending it. And even as I was reading through your to-do list, which I hope we'll share with the audience, because I think it would just be, its it was fascinating to me to see your to-do list in this new format. I found myself feeling more inspired. Like, oh, when I cleared the files from my computer, then I get to look at how are Matt cars painted and fixed, which feels like such a more um, enjoyable way to live your day, if you will. Yeah. So let's talk about matte cars quick. So it's actually the last layer of paint. Instead of gloss, they mix like some dirt into the paint, which gives it that matte finish. That makes sense. Yeah. It's apparently such a pain to fix, which is why people will do it. And then apparently if like a bird poops on your car, you have to remove it within 15 minutes or it'll stain. Oh my gosh. And so people are just like over it. Like it's just way too much to upkeep. Yeah. Wow. So can we share more of the things that are on your to-do list? Sure. (laughs) I just loved it so much. Okay. It gives people insights into how your brain works, which I think is a really beautiful thing because I don't think everybody's brain works like your brain. (laughs) No. And I think it's funny too, because 
my wife likes to ask me questions about that all the time. Like, why why are you looking into this thing? Like, what yes. <laughs> sparked that question? Okay, cool. So you can go through it and I can answer whatever questions you'd like. Okay. Well, one is the question that you have of just like, how do you even think of these things? So we talked about the first two on Rami's list. So the next one is fix the Roomba and clean it. Self-explanatory. How many calories do dogs need in a day? Yeah. Where, where did that come from? I was... Yes, that made me curious too. And you don't even have a dog. I have no. two dogs and I have never thought about that question in that way. I've thought, how much should I feed my dogs? But not mm-hmm. in terms of calorie intake. <laughs> so my coworker has a dog. It's like a really small dog. And I was like, oh, I wonder how much, like how you figure out what the right amount to feed it is. So then I Googled it. It's 25 to 30 calories per pound. Oh, wow. But they don't... I'm. I'm pretty sure, but now I'm curious. I don't think they have nutrition facts on dog food bags. So I think they, they just do. tell you, do they? I just think they tell you how many cups. Like, I know when I look at my dog food bag. And but is that I cups never based on that. weight? Yeah, it's based on okay. the weight. But so they don't think about it in terms of calories. They don't translate because that's 1000 calories. Like, they're yeah. just like your dog weighs between 40 and 45 pounds. Therefore, give them a cup or of dog food or whatever. That's funny. Well, yeah, I have no dog, so I, I guess I wouldn't know that. But yeah. uh, yes, I guess we're doing the same math. We're just you're doing it in terms of scoops and I'm doing it in terms of calories. Yeah. But they must be getting there via calories, right? I'm sure. I'm sure that would make a lot of sense. OK, can we keep going? I just yeah. some of these are fascinating. Uh, what's the background on Japanese gardening techniques? Man, Wh- I cannot Wh- crack that one. I keep <laughs> trying to fall down that wiki hole and I'm just it. It's so dense that I haven't had the just half an hour to sit there and say, all right, I'm going to dig into this. This one is unchecked. It is oh not done yet. Oh, my gosh. So how long? That leads me to another question. How long might some of these linger on your list? I don't think super long because at the point at which I will attempt to look at a Japanese gardening technique three times and still can't crack it, like I'm just going to find someone mm-hmm. and ask them. Mm-hmm. You're going to pull a Da Vinci. It's just not worth it to me to keep trying to Google it if it's not interesting enough to me on the like the dive in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then it's planned shows and food for your New York City trip. I didn't know you're going to New York City. That's great. Yes. Uh, What is a ham foldover? Okay, I was listening to this lady who I think you're going to really like. I think you Mm -hmm. should should write her name down, Shannon. I think you're going to want to read everything that she's written. Uh, her I'm... name is Bernie oh. Brown. Oh my God! As if I even need to write it down. <laughs> and P.S. That was yours. Okay. <laughs> Rami clearly knows me very well. I have read two or three yeah. of her books. No, for sure. I was Dare reading, to I Lead was... is probably going to be done on the podcast at some point. That's the I one I listened to. I haven't read it yet, but it's on my bookshelf. No, I I see a lot of her techniques in how you do things. So that was very facetious of me. Oh, interesting. She talks about having a fight with her husband over a ham foldover. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, what the heck is that? I'm envisioning like a a turnover, you know, like a sweet Mm -hmm. turnover. It's it's but with ham and cheese. Yeah, the recipes I found were mostly like a croissant with ham and cheese in them. Yes. But I'm assuming he just took like a piece of bread and shoved ham and cheese and then just toasted it. All right. Like folded. I don't know. The next one on Rami's list, what's a Los Angeles salad? Okay. So at the first Oscars, 
uh, the Academy Awards, they served a Los Angeles salad. And I've been Googling this like crazy and cannot find the answer to it. It's like a, yeah. a 1930s salad that may or may not have existed. Hmm. I was I was very intrigued. That one caught my eye, especially when I was reading your list. Uh, next up is Water the Plant. Yep, I did that. So there's another question that's coming to me. Do you actually tackle these in the order that you have them listed? No. Okay. You just give yourself permission to like skip around. Yes. As you feel like it. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I think is interesting is for my own personal slash type A gratification, I delete stuff from my virtual to-do list when it's completed because it just gives me so much satisfaction to see that list shrink. Do you keep yours like running? Yeah, mine, well, no. So mine becomes a push down and then pull up whatever I need to. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. So you can go back and look through these interesting things that you now know. Yeah. And it's also, I think, kind of just weird to look at these things, be like, what was I interested in that week? Like, why was I looking at, I don't know, birds of paradise or something? Yeah. So let's go there next. What causes a bird of paradise to bloom? So we have a lot of bird of paradises here in LA. I didn't actually know that that's what they were called. I also have quite a few Hawaiian shirts and I have one that I really like. It's like red and black. And the other day someone was like, that's birds of paradise. And I was like, nah, I don't think it is just like a weird floral pattern. And then I looked at it and it is birds of paradise, which I didn't know was even a plant. Like I knew that it existed, but I didn't, I didn't know that that's what that plant is mm-hmm. and they bloom at the weirdest time so i like looked it up and i guess they can bloom between fall and spring but i've seen them bloom in summer so that one there's more questions there but yeah how is grappa made am i saying that yeah. right? grappa is it yeah. grape vodka so it kind of is grape vodka so they make wine and then they take the the rinds the skins and then whatever else is left over And they distill it in the same way that you would distill like potatoes or corn to make vodka. And then you make like a grape. It essentially is a grape vodka because it's an unflavored spirit. Hmm. And where did that question originate from? Oh, yeah. So one of my coworkers was talking about how much he liked grappa. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, I'd never heard of it. It's like vodka. And then I had it and it's like very strong. Like, I don't know that it's just like grape vodka like yeah. it's something else okay then rami's got to get gross get get groceries and get groceries from costco yeah makes sense what's in a louisiana flip okay so i was watching this movie from 1932 called the grand hotel it won the best picture oscar you can see that there's a theme of oscars here yes and this guy orders a louisiana flip and it just looked like an interesting drink. And I guess it's a very old timey drink. It's not like a contemporary drink. There's some drinks similar to it. Mm. But most of the things that I read, you would have to like explain to the person how to make it, but they can make it. It's just not, it hasn't come with the times. That's interesting. When I read that, I thought it was a sandwich. I was yes. envisioning a sandwich. It no, just, it's a drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't I want aluminum in my deodorant? I really loved this question because I thought I liked that category of question, you know, of like actually thinking about the things that society. Well, it's weird because I have known for probably the last four years that I don't want it in my deodorant. Yeah, same. And at some point, I probably knew why. Mm-hmm. 
I was like, oh, it's probably just bad for you. So then I looked it up because my deodorants always say like, we don't have aluminum in them. I'm right. Like, okay. Well, you're not really a deodorant. You're not antiperspirant. You're basically just something I put under my arms and hope prevent some precipitation. <laughs> But it's because they they had studies that kind of linked it to breast cancer and Alzheimer's and they kind of disproved those. But they're still like most people are of the camp of it's preventing toxins from getting out of my body. Mm -hmm. That's probably not a good thing. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, And then the last one on Rami's list is the Eiffel Tower or the Statue of Liberty older. So we have a painting in our room that I really like that we got in Paris and it's got the Eiffel Tower on it and I was looking at it and I was thinking about our trip to New York. That's where the question comes from. The answer to it is that the Statue of Liberty is older. It was built in 1875. The Eiffel Tower is from 1887, so 12 years, Hmm. but they're both built by the same person, uh, something Eiffel. I did not know that. I would have guessed that the Eiffel Tower was older, but now that I think about it, Yeah, that's fascinating. Okay, so that's my list. You kind of get an understanding of how weird my brain is and that it's all just everywhere. It gives me comfort, though, to know, because when when Rami first sent this to me, I was like, I don't think like this. And I feel really bad that I don't. (laughs) But it gives me comfort to know that you weren't always at this place. This book really inspired you to mix it up a little bit. And I am also feeling very inspired after this podcast episode and learning about this to mix it up a little bit. Well, and I think, too, it's like how and we'll get into that here very quickly. But it's like, how do you take note of those things that do intrigue or are something that you don't fully understand? How do you how do you make sure you're writing those down? Mm -hmm. But I want to ask you two quick questions, and then we'll kind of get into the eye level piece here. So Mm -hmm. what was the last Wikipedia hole that you fell down? You clicked on one thing, and then you just kept clicking as you kept falling. For me, it often comes up with people and particularly historical figures. So I have a thing for period pieces. My husband hates it. But if there is a movie about Queen Victoria, Mary of Scots, any movie, TV show, documentary... I will watch it. And the last one I can remember, but I couldn't tell you a single thing from it, was falling down the rabbit hole of uh, of Queen Victoria. And just being fascinated more by her marriage than anything mm-hmm. else, because their marriage is portrayed as so strong and loving. And I found myself feeling very curious about their marriage and why they had so many kids and all those things. I mean, we know why they had so many kids, because they loved yeah. each other. But, you know, <laughs> that's the last one that I remember. What about you? Interesting. I fall into a Disneyland hole a lot mm. where I'll like click on a ride and understand how they built it. And then I'll start clicking on like the Imagineers and seeing what else they built. And I just I'm what you call mostly like a generalist in that I, I find a lot of different things interesting mm. to a point. And then if I have to do real research, I, I usually don't find them interesting anymore. Yeah. But that's where I like Disney to that point because I will keep digging because I like going to Disneyland and, and pointing out the things that I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. My goal in life is to become a Disney tour guide. So are they called like the plaid coats or something? Do they? They, they have plaid coats. Oh, I don't okay. know what their nicknames would be. That's I saw that question. the other day on it's Yeah, maybe we should add it to the to-do list. Yeah, I'm going to add that to my to-do list. I for like sure. it. So here's my question. You've got a child in your house. 
Yeah. Two adults. Yes. When someone, either you or your family is asking questions, how do you embrace it? How do you, how do you solve that curiosity? So rather than thinking of my current household, what, what I immediately go back to is growing, growing up as a kid. My parents had a set of encyclopedias. I'm going to date myself, maybe. And my parents were insatiably curious. And they instilled that, I think, in all of our, in all of their children to a point. So, for example, even, I think it was last spring, I'm at my mom and dad's house. And there's a woodpecker in the tree outside their house. And my dad says, quick, get the encyclopedia out. Let's see if we can figure out what kind of a woodpecker (laughs) it is. Like, that was just the environment that we were nurtured within. And as I'm reflecting on how I'm parenting today, I don't know that I'm doing a great job with that, probably because of the digital age. Uh, And it almost makes me want to get a set of encyclopedias, (laughs) even though I have access on the internet, to make sure that we're making time for that with our child, because I love that we grew up with that. And I think corporate America maybe beat efficiency into me that took a lot of natural curiosity out of me because I favor (laughs) the crossing things off my to-do list now more so than actually like taking time to look into some of these things. But you could still, you could, uh, you could replicate that experience now, right? It's, Hey, look at that hummingbird. What kind of hummingbird is it? Well, let's Google hummingbirds. Let's look at all of them here quickly because we can put our phone up to the window and look at them and like, let's figure out which one it is. And then let's find out how many times it does beat its wings in a minute or how many times its heart beats or whatever it is. Yeah. We'll do that with, with Alexa. So we have an Alexa and Google home or whatever. And our foster daughter right now will ask questions <laughs> to them because she hears us do that. Most mm-hmm. of the time it's just like, what's the weather going to be today? And she just loves to mimic. But I'm thinking we could use that too as like another tool to infuse it now versus that physical set of encyclopedias that was so well-worn and loved in our family growing up. For sure. I think you can swap Google and Alexia and Siri for for that. I think it's just remembering to ask those questions. Yeah. Is is the hard part is how do you remember to do that? And what an important skill and value I'm just reflecting now that I want to instill in our kids. So I love that. Okay, so let's let's hop into how we bring this home and then we'll talk about that infusing your interests maybe right at the end. So Yeah. I think to me the big one is you should find a way that when you don't know an answer of something and you don't want to take the time to Google it, to just add it to your list yes, and, and make it as important as the things on your list. Like my sticky pad at work is always a hodgepodge of things that I want to find out and things that I need to do. And I find that <clears throat> I'm more willing to work through the entire list if there's a little bit of fun for me in there in terms of like I'm expanding my own knowledge. Yeah. Adding that relief into your day a little bit. I love that. I think the other thing too is when you have experts, you should always ask them, right? There's people that you work with that you know that have this depth of knowledge and also interest about various things. So if Mm -hmm. you do have a subject that you know that someone knows a lot about, like ask them rather than Google because you'll get a lot more dense answer and you can ask a bunch of follow-ups right so i saw a movie the other day and 
this uh, Black Flag t-shirt was in it. And I don't know anything about the band Black Flag. So I went to one of my coworkers who I know was into that style of music and was asking him and he was kind of like helping me understand it. Then he sent me some uh, some YouTube links of songs and videos to listen to. And like I got a much quicker, rounded depth of knowledge on that subject rather than having gone and dug in myself. Yes, I love that. And I want to get more thoughtful about who those experts are around me or just paying attention to that. I think that's a great way to, if we think about our goal with this podcast to build empathy, like how does that build that culture in the workplace to even just get thoughtful about, can I ask someone instead of going to Google or maybe vice versa, if you tend to ask people and never use your own resources? (laughs) Yes, for sure. I think the other piece too is like, if you can't find an expert in real life, I like to watch a bunch of YouTube videos or listen Mm. to experts talk about things because you're going straight to the source of someone who knows a lot about it. And usually, usually they'll do a like intro to that subject or like a really high level overview of it so that you can understand it. And because they understand it so well, their overview usually is like a pretty clean way of getting that information. Mm -hmm. I love it. Two very great tangible ways. The other thing I would say is, as you look at questions in real life, I think we tend to do this thing where someone says, oh, like, tell me more about these birds of paradise or something. And you'll like do a a really quick either search or you'll say like, here's what I know about them. You'll say it and then you're done. I think the question is, how do you do what Alice did and you fall down that rabbit hole? And together, as a as whoever it is, as a group, whatever it is, that you start to do that research together. Mm. Like, how do you make that the experience? Like, yeah. oh, we just spent 20 minutes looking up birds of paradise and trying to understand them. Yes. And the beautiful camaraderie that can come out of that. For sure. What else do you have on that side of curiosity? And I think you hit it. So let's flip to the other side really quick, which is the how do you um, put your interests into other pieces of your life? And this is the one that I find interesting, right? Because if you're an artist, it's really easy. I'll just draw everything or or make models of everything. Mm -hmm. I think for those of us who are less artistic, it's more difficult. So the way that I see myself doing it is on the things that I'm really passionate about or have a strong skill set in. So I like to use Excel whenever possible. Yes. Regardless of... If it makes sense in the situation, anytime I get a chance to use Excel, I like to because it makes sense to me. And I know that I can get trends and and find um, themes with Excel. Mm -hmm. I think the flip side of that is I also am very passionate, as you've heard me say, about movies and about Disney. And so I usually will make reference to those as I'm trying to either tell a story or, or or build an example or or come up with a solution. And so those are the things that I lean on because I have that lack of the artistic side being my passion. I use my passions whenever I can to kind of, one, it makes me more interested in in solving those problems. But then two, I think it also gives people like a more concreteness to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's great. I'm also an Excel addict. They should have like an Excel anonymous club, I think. And I'm pretty sure we would both be in it. We'd, uh, find a way to filter probably most of our <laughs> issues out of it or we'd be look it up create a pivot table <laughs> yes oh you God. want us to actually pivot yeah, that's not gonna happen we'll make a pivot table <laughs> you're so nerdy 
Yes. So I would say the thing around that too is when you're in a situation, you're solving a problem, try and change the hats that you wear when Mm. solving it, right? So the question that Da Vinci asked a lot is like, how would an expert in blank go about solving this problem? And so I would say, take the same approach, right? Like how would uh, the the hat that I like to put on a lot is how would someone at Disney solve this problem? Because I, I, I think of Disney, I put them really on a pedestal or like a Google, I put them on a pedestal yeah. or like an Apple. And so I like to think like, okay, how would they solve this problem? And how can I take what I think they would do and kind of apply it to what I'm trying to do? Yes. And like pull yourself out of yourself and put on a different hat. Yes. Have you heard of the six thinking hats? Yes. So this is just coming back to me that that was something I would encourage my team to do as well at, uh, when I was in corporate America. And I have lost sight of that. I just Googled it quick. So the six hats are facts, emotions, critic. Uh, they call well this one. I don't know if I agree with these names. Sunshine, the optimist, essentially creative and the analysts. Uh, they're calling it cool in this one. Anyways, cool. look I think it analysts up. Analysts are cool. I think they're cool too. Look it up. Um, the Six Thinking Hats by De Bono, I think his name is. And it was really helpful to recognize your own tendencies. I, no shock here, have a tendency to lean into towards emotion and feelings. <laughs> so I might need, and also optimism, I would say. So I might need to spend more time in the white hat of facts. <laughs> That's fair. I think I think I lean too far into facts, so maybe I'll lead more into emotion. The last, last thing that I'm going to say is when you have a question about something in a meeting, ask that question. Mm. The environment in most companies is going to uh, praise inquisitiveness rather than shoot it down. And if they're shooting it down, then there's a bigger problem. Agree. But you should always ask, like, whenever there are things that are confusing or you don't know or people are using lingo that you don't understand, like, ask the question because you don't want to be four steps behind, especially on something important. Mm-hmm. Great. So, time. Shannon, that was Da Vinci. We talked about him. Thank you, Walter Isaacson, for digging in and, and helping us understand. Hopefully, your to-do lists will never look the same. Yes, yes. That is the thing I'm taking away from this is... I'm going to go back to that habit of the back of the notebook list, but I'm just going to merge it on in with my to-do list. One list. One list. So Shannon, what are we going to talk about next week? Next week, we are going to talk about an oldie but a goodie article that's all about the hidden driver of great performance. Rami, do you want to guess what's the hidden driver of great performance? I think it is yelling at people. Oh, definitely. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what's up for next week. Until then, I'm Shannon. And I've been Rami. And this is Workplace Sucks. Bye.